Well, good morning. I'm, uh, I'm blessed to have the opportunity and the privilege to uh, share with you this morning the, what I'm calling the, the what, uh, the how, and the why of our global FBC Global Mission Strategy. Uh, before I begin, though, I'd like to highlight our, our missions booklet. Um, obviously, the few moments that I'll have up here this morning, I don't have the time to uh, give you as much detail as I'd like about our missions program and what we're doing and some of the stories, but this booklet contains a lot more detail um, than I'd be able to give you. Um, it gives the history of how we have come to have the kind of uh, missions program and focus that we have. Here at FBC, we don't have a traditional, typical missions program where we're supporting parachurch organizations to do the work of the ministry for us, but we ourselves are, are involved, directly involved with global missions and carrying out our own strategy, our own involvement in global missions. And, and in this booklet, it gives the, the history of how God brought us to that point. Um, as well as kind of lays out the, the various countries where we're working uh, and some of the people that we're working with. And so if you haven't gotten a copy of this before, uh, they're back in Ministry Central, and I'd encourage you to, to grab one and, and spend some time reading through it and uh, learning more about our missions program. Uh, the second thing is we have uh, last October, we came out with a global missions prayer calendar. Um, came out last October, but it's a two-year calendar, so there's another year, over a year left on it. Um, each month, uh, relevant, pertinent prayer re requests are posted on our uh, Facebook and website for the country that is being prayed for on any on each each month, and. Uh, with all the emphasis um, that we've been putting over the last number of months in family life and providing tools through the, the home center for families to disciple kids and disciple grandkids, I just think this is a great tool to use in our families. And it's a great way to begin uh, building a missions mindset in our families and with our kids that by actually having them pray. You know, a lot of times kids in Sunday schools are asked to pray for missionaries that they'll, that they'll never meet, um, that, that a lot of times their churches really aren't even involved with. But all the, all the places that, that we're praying for in our prayer calendar are churches, our pastors that we are directly working with. Uh, many of them have come here, many of them have stayed in your homes, and it's a, it's a great opportunity to get kids specifically praying for those that we're partnering with and, and working with. And so I'd encourage you to uh, make use of these as well, and there's a number of them back there at Ministry Central also. So the what. Um, first of all, uh, here we have, a, we have a global mission strategy, um, and we have a team that God's raised up to carry out that strategy. Uh, obviously, it's something we're doing as a church, but there's a, there's a, a global missions team that is specifically responsible for uh, this part of our strategy. Um, we have two global missions pastors, myself and Jim Poole, and uh, we have a global missions admin assistant, Lisa Grams, and then we have a global missions leadership team. It's made up of 10 or 11 other men. And uh, in, in global missions, um, you know, all over the world today, 
you name it in terms of occupations, and, and it's being done somewhere in the world in, in, in the name of missions. You know, there's, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's construction workers, there's teachers, uh, there's IT people. Uh, you name it, there, it's being done somewhere in the name of missions. And so there's a whole host of things that we as a church could, could get involved in. But God has led us to focus directly on the, on the church, uh, the already existing church that exists in, in, in uh, the countries that we're working in. Uh, right now, God has led us to uh, work, partner with churches in 17 other countries. And, uh, and I think a passage that really uh, sets the mandate for, um, for our global missions program is Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. It says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this passage gives us our mandate for our involvement in global missions, because it gives the pastors, the church leaders of already existing churches, it gives them their mandate, and that's to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so God has, has uh, called us to draw alongside of these pastors in these churches to equip them so that they can turn around and effectively lead their churches unto a mature faith, so that their churches can begin to live and function according to God's call and design in their local context. Um, the way that a lot of modern-day missions is carried out today, we have parachurch organizations going into countries, ignoring the local church, and carrying out the work of the ministry in countries in place of the local church. And um, we believe that that keeps the local church weak and irresponsible and dependent. And, uh, but God has raised us up to draw alongside of and strengthen and establish the local church. And as we uh, disciple and train and equip the pastors and the church leaders of the local churches, we're beginning to see them turn around now and begin passing those same truths, uh, the same tools on to other pastors in their local context. And this morning we have a, a short video of Gopal Manali in Nepal, who's a, a really good example of, of, of a place where that's taking place. <clears throat> In early 2018, members of the FBC Missions Board traveled to Nepal for a conference attended by pastors from all over the region. This is Gopal Manali. We first came into contact with him around the year 2000 through the ministry of Jai Pandi. Originally, Gopal was a government school teacher in his rural community in Nepal. But he realized God was leading him to give up his teaching position to pastor his church full time. As he ministered to his people, Gopal realized a significant need for the children of low caste families to have access to education. We saw some, uh, some children uh, are not going to school because uh, they are from uh, low caste, un untouched caste, and uh, it was not easy for them to go to uh, the school, and others don't want to sit with them and don't uh, eat anything, uh, water or any food touched by them. 
if they are not able to uh, afford other private school and many are sending here uh, and we are helping them, giving them education because all are required here. In November of 2013, God led Gopal to begin reaching out to other Nepali pastors in order to offer the same teaching and lessons to them that he had received from FBC through the years. That first conference he was hoping that 30 or so pastors would be willing to come. He was greatly surprised when 50 showed up. Uh, in, in that conference, in Kathmandu conference, there were some pastors from West Nepal and some from East Nepal, uh, some from Far West Nepal. And last uh, October, well, I and Pastor Amar went there and we did uh, one youth conference there for three days. I taught them Christ uh, unto Christ in the uh, youth conference and they were very excited. In addition to teaching in the annual conference setting, he meets with many local pastors monthly to offer ongoing instruction and encouragement. And also in Sarlai district, Sarlai is a big district and here are I think more than 80 churches. And also we meet together once in a month for two hours. God is doing some incredible things in Nepal through Gopal and Rajgat Bible Church. They all know how we are teaching chronologically and uh, uh, how our believers are growing, what we are doing, they know. And some of pastors started to teach chronologically in their church also. We believe that God raises up leaders like Gopal in order to equip the saints, the church, to do the work of ministry. But not only is Gopal raising and teaching the people in his own church, he's reaching out to help equip Nepali pastors and leaders so they can do the same in their churches. So that's the what. The what is, is we focus on the local church. Um, we're, like, we're like Chick-fil-A in the sense that uh, Chick-fil-A doesn't do burgers and subs and pizza. They just do chicken. And um, we just focus on the local church. Um, there are orphanages that are associated with the local church. Uh, sometimes there's building projects. We send teams out to help with various construction projects, uh, things like that. But but it's always, it's always in the context of working to establish the local church. It's always to help a local church become more established. And, and that's, our, that's our sole focus. And so uh, that leads me to the how. How do we, how do we go about this? There's a, there's a lot that goes into seeking to establish the local church. Um, a lot of finances, a lot of time, a lot of travel. Uh, the last two years, both Jim and I have... Uh, flown over 100,000 miles to visit the pastors and the churches that we're partnering with in 17 different countries. Uh, this year, we're just into July, and I've already flown over 80,000. Um, and so a lot of time and a lot of travel is spent in going out and being with these guys and being on site and, and spending, spending time with them. But the most important component to how we're going about establishing the church is in the content of the teaching. It's in the content of our teaching, and it's the way that that content is unfolded. Um, look at Paul's charge to those who are planting and watering, or those that are teaching and discipling the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. And so this is, this is Paul's charge to those that are planting and watering the church, those that are teaching and discipling the church. And he says, he says that the only foundation, the only true foundation that can be laid is Jesus Christ. But then each, each one must be careful how he builds on that foundation. Is he building the church with gold, silver, precious stones, or is he building the church with wood, hay, and straw? And, and this is a reference to the content of the teaching. And um, as those who are drawing alongside of those that have been charged with establishing the church, it's extremely important for us to uh, consider, uh, to take very serious the content, the building materials, the tools that we're passing on to these pastors and church leaders, that it's that it's materials, that, are, that it's teaching, that it's content that, that will truly establish people in their faith uh, so that the church can truly come unto maturity. Um, so not only is the content of our teaching extremely important, but the way that it is unfolded is also very important and actually enables, uh, enables these guys, ena will enable their churches to, to grasp the content. Uh, it's like our education system. Um, we would never take a, uh, a high school subject like calculus and teach it to second or third graders. Even though the content of the subject might be true, might be accurate, um, we would, you would never do such a thing because second and third graders don't have enough of a foundation in place to grasp such a uh, difficult subject that's geared for later in life. And um, we believe the Word of God has been put together that way. Um, let me explain. Uh, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. It says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. So Paul is speaking of a, of, a, of, a, of a hidden wisdom, a mystery that was, that was hidden, that was ordained before the ages. This means it was, it, that it's a mystery that God predetermined uh, before he created anything, before the foundations of the earth. 2 Timothy 1.9 says the same thing. <clears throat> Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God's purpose and grace were bestowed upon us through Christ before time began, before creation, before God created man, before there was a fall, before there was sin to be paid for, God already predetermined the payment for it. He already predetermined this eternal plan of redemption. And so I, it, it, I believe that point sets the ultimate context for all the Word of God. Uh, everything we see in the Word of God 
begins with the fact that God predetermined the eternal plan of redemption before the foundations of the earth. And so Genesis 1 then is the beginning of God fulfilling that plan. You know, God's, God's plan didn't begin in Genesis 1. It began before the foundations of the earth. And then creation is the beginning of him fulfilling that plan. All through the Old Testament then, we see God preparing, God setting the stage, God pointing to, God foreshadowing this one that's going to come and fulfill the plan. Uh, there's many types, pictures, foreshadowings, pointing to, God constantly reminding of the promise of the one that's coming. And then in the Gospels, Jesus comes and he fulfills the plan. And then Acts to Revelation is the results of the fact that the plan has been fulfilled. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the, the day of Pentecost, the, the existence, the, the birth of the, of, the new, of the church, the New Testament church. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption. Um, we have much teaching through the epistles on, on who we are in Christ and what we've been given and, and God's view of us as a new creation with a new identity. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Why is that even possible? Because Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption. All the way to the end of Revelation and, and, and uh, the, when God brings about the new heaven and the new earth and we're with him for the rest of eternity, Satan and the demons are finally locked up in the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. Why? Because Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption. Uh, this fact that uh, Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption, I believe, sets the ultimate context for everything that's in the Word of God. Uh, every point of biblical instruction, every command, every promise or doctrine in the New Testament finds its relevancy in the fact that Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption. Uh, all the, the, the Old Testament events that Don and, and um, Dennis took us through the last couple weeks, Achan stealing the bacon, um, all of that took place in the context of, of God planning, preparing, and fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption that he predetermined before the foundations of the earth. I think this fact gives great meaning to, the, to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. He says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Paul, as an apostle, as a church planter, here he's, he's, he's giving what, what, he's summarizing what his, uh, what he views his call, his purpose, what he was called to as an apostle, as a church planter, and that is to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. What are the unsearchable riches of Christ? You know, the, the, we were, all of us were born separated from God. We were born in Adam, enemies of God, separated from God. And the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were taken out of Adam and we were placed into Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says that we were made a new creation. As a new creation, we were given a new identity. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. 
That means there isn't a spiritual blessing in the heavenlies left that God could give us, or that God is holding back and waiting to make sure that we're going to be faithful to give it to us. It says it's all been given to us the moment we were taken out of Adam and placed into Christ as a new creation. Uh, this is the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and, it's, and I think Paul's saying it's unsearchable, <laughs> that it's so much. We have been given so much that, we'll, that we can't fathom. We, I, there's, we couldn't stand up here. You couldn't stand up here long enough and lay out everything, unpack everything that we've been given in Christ because it's unsearchable. It's unfathomable. I think we're going to spend eternity learning more and more and more about what we've been given in Christ the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior. Well, these guys that we're partnering with, that we're, that we're drawn alongside of as pastors and church leaders in these other countries, these guys aren't at a place where they can lay this out for the church. They're not able, they're not able to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ as they are. Uh, there's, there's some pastors we've come in contact with that actually get their sermons from the Internet. Um, we've, we've heard some do that. There's one pastor, uh, uh, there's a number of pastors, when we first started working with the pastors in Malawi, um, that didn't even have Bibles. Uh, there was one pastor that uh, he would ride his bicycle two hours every Saturday to the location where the, where the closest pastor who has a Bible was located. And then he would sit down with this guy's Bible and he'd write down some verses and then ride back and the next day share with his church. And uh, when we made the trip and found, found that out, I uh, came home and I was sharing that story with, with my wife. And, uh, and I, just, you know, I was just impressed by the guy's dedication and by you know, what he was willing to do to, to share truth with the church. And, and uh, she says, well, why didn't he just sell his bike and buy a Bible? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know why he didn't. That, that would make sense. But this is the condition that uh, a lot of these guys are in and, uh, and where they're at. And so they're not able to unfold for the church the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so um, as we meet with these pastors, one of the, one of the main tools that we're using to, to train and equip them and, and to equip them with so that they can turn around and, and unfold the unsearchable riches of Christ for the church is a set of progressive, foundational progressive, uh, we call them the chronological lessons. It begins before the foundations of the earth. It traces God's preparation and foreshadowing through the Old Testament and clearly lays out the fulfillment of the plan in the Gospels and then continues to unpack the unsearchable riches of Christ through Acts and the Epistles. And in the, and, and in the context, in the backdrop of God fulfilling the eternal plan of redemption, then we have the, the various events and uh, doctrines and commands and biblical instruction that comes up uh, in the context of God fulfilling that plan. Currently, these lessons are being translated into 17 different languages uh, in the 17 different countries that we're working in. And so that's the how. That's, that's how we go about uh, seeking to establish the already existing churches that we're partnering with. And then lastly is the why. Why, why focus on the church? Why, why is this our sole focus? Because the establishment of the church through the eternal plan of redemption has been at the center of God's purposes from before the foundations of the earth. 
Uh, that's, that's, that's the main reason, um, or one of the main reasons, because it's been at the center of God's heart from before the foundations of the earth. This, this was the center of his predetermined plan. Ephesians, if you look at Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27, um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is the whole purpose why Jesus gave himself, why Jesus came and died on the cross and shed his blood so that there would be a bride, so that there would be a church to be presented unto himself. And that's referencing the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation 19, verses 6 to 7, where it says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And so this is, this is, this is the whole purpose why God predetermined the eternal plan of redemption and why Jesus came and gave himself. It says in Hebrews that uh, because of the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame and the suffering and the cross. And I believe that joy is this day in heaven when the church, the bride, will be presented to Christ. And everything that we're doing, working with these churches, working with these pastors, is all in preparation for that day. And then lastly, in Acts uh, ver uh, chapter 20, verse 28, this is the context here is Paul. He's meeting with the uh, Ephesian elders for the last time. He's telling them this is the last time he's going to be, be with them. He has spent extensive time uh, with, these, with these men, with these, with these believers, and, and this is his last parting encouragement that he wants to leave them with. And he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The church is the only thing on this earth that's been purchased with the blood of Christ. Nothing else, nothing else has been paid for by the blood of Christ but the church. And I think it's, it's safe to believe that there is nothing uh, more important, uh, more valuable to the heart of God than the church. And because it's so important to the church, to God, it's important to us. And uh, these these men have been called to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ for the church, to establish the church in the faith, all in preparation for one day to be presented to Christ as his glorious bride. And so this is, this is kind of the what, the how, and the why uh, we have the, the global mission strategy here that we have. Over the last 20 years, carrying out such a hands-on involvement in global missions has provided a lot of exposure for FBC families. Uh, we have short-term teams that go out every year. Uh, we just had a team come back from India. We have another team leaving on the 19th to go to China. Uh, Jim and I often take uh, people along with us to give exposure to uh, what's going on in, in, in missions and what we're, what we're doing and meet some of these people. 
And that kind of exposure through the years and, and then having these guys come in for our global missions uh, uh, conference every other year uh, gives our body uh, direct involvement, direct contact with, with what's going on, what we're doing in missions. And I think the result of that exposure, one of the results of that exposure, is, is God raising up uh, the next generation or a new crop of ministers of reconciliation uh, from within our own body. Right now we have six to eight young couples and a, and a number of singles who are currently being met with and mentored and trained and discipled and, and involved, uh, prepared to be involved in helping to carry out the, the work of the ministry, uh, both locally and globally. And so this morning, we'd like to actually introduce you to one of those couples. Uh, happens to be my son, Joel, and, and, and his wife, uh, Rachel. Hi, we are Joel and Rachel McManigle. We are members of Fellowship Bible Church and recently joined Ethnos 360, formerly known as New Tribes Mission, with a desire to establish mature churches in Southeast Asia. Joel and I both grew up as children of New Tribes missionaries in Thailand. We had a front row seat in watching God redeem people to himself from people groups who had never had the opportunity to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. This had a dramatic impact on our spiritual lives, and we both accepted Christ as our personal Savior at a young age. But I don't think either one of us anticipated how God would use this experience to direct us in our future. With the foundations of our faith established by the Word of God as children, we continue to grow in our knowledge and love for God. Part of that knowledge was of God's heart for the lost and His desire that none should perish. We both pursued higher education in hopes of using it to enter full-time ministry. I received a degree in youth ministry and Rachel became a registered nurse with the goal of pursuing medical missions. After graduating, we got married and settled in Virginia with overseas missions still very much on our hearts. God had other plans for us though, and we both ended up working full-time jobs here in Virginia. Because of this, we were able to get involved at FBC and plugged into the youth ministry. It was not what we had planned for that time, but we see how God was using it to instill in us a great value for His church. We are so grateful for our time here and the opportunity to serve alongside so many of you. You have truly made an impact in our lives, and we are reminded again that it is God who directs our steps. We lived in Virginia for four years and continued to feel a burden for the lost. So we began to inquire as to how we could be a part of reaching those who had no access to the gospel, either by going ourselves or equipping the National Church to do so. In 2016, God led us to take the next step in preparing for missions. Over the course of three months, we quit our jobs and sold our house, vehicles, and possessions. And on August 10th, 2016, we moved to Missouri and began a two and a half year training program with Ethno360. This training program was designed to equip students to communicate cross-culturally with the goal of establishing mature churches. Through our upbringing, God has given us a heart for the people of Southeast Asia. And we are excited about the work that He is already doing there. As little children, we watched him build his church in small villages that are insignificant to the rest of the world, but are now part of God's kingdom. And now we are privileged to be able to return and continue to be a part of how he is changing lives in a people we have grown to love so much. The challenges in this area of the world are immense. Southeast Asia has been peppered with evangelistic efforts driven by the need for speed that leave confusion and syncretism in their wake. 
Animistic people simply blend forms of Christianity with the belief systems that they already have in place. They continue to worship spirits and the ancestors while also observing some Christian traditions. The waters have been muddied by unclear gospel messages. This is the reality that we will be walking into, and our desire in this context is to establish mature churches that last for generations and are able to birth other churches. Our strategy will be much different than those who are motivated by speed. We desire to bring clarity and truth to people that are crippled by confusion with the goal to see them become dependent disciples of Christ. This is going to take a long time. Part of how we see the Lord leading us is through equipping and partnering with the national church. The country of Thailand is less than 1% Christian, and the churches that do exist struggle to sustain themselves, let alone impact their communities. Most church planning efforts have been focused on minority peoples who are more receptive to the gospel, but then have little impact outside their group. Our desire is to see the national church go to maturity and be equipped to impact their own people, as well as extending to the unreached in the surrounding countries of Southeast Asia. Our plans are nothing if God does not establish our steps. We continue to be reminded that all of these things that we seek to do must be in dependence upon Him. Christ has promised to build His church, and we are privileged to be a part of what He is doing. We also know that in order to do this, we need the body of Christ. We will need people to partner with us in seeing this task accomplished. We are being sent by FBC as part of the body, and we cannot do this alone. Right now, we're finishing up the last phase of our training. We will be returning to Virginia in December of 2018. Our goal then is to reconnect with FBC and see the Lord raise up a group of people who will join our ministry team. Once this team is formed and our monthly budget is 100% funded, we will move to Southeast Asia and begin language study. If you would like to learn more about what the Lord is calling us to or how you can be a part of our ministry team, please contact us. We look forward to being back with you soon. And here they are. <laughs> it's interesting, as I was listening to Scott uh, again, instruct us on how the Lord has led Fellowship Bible Church in missions, that uh, through the years we've partnered with local pastors, and in a sense, we continue to do that with Joel and Rachel, um, but they're not going to put as many miles on as Scott and Jim do. They're going to go live there and partner with local pastors and churches to do the work that God has called us to do. So today, we're going to commission them and I'd like to invite the elders, uh, the missions pastors, present and past, uh, to come on up. Uh, last night at FSAT, we had the privilege of having Rachel's dad, who uh, works with Ethnos 360 in Southeast Asia, uh, was here with us as well. Here at Fellowship Bible Church, we have an emphasis, the elders have placed an emphasis on the importance of the family. Um, which is why we've created the home center out, out uh, in the lobby and all the activities that we do throughout this year and will continue to do next year, focus on the importance of the family and God's plan for that. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, it reads this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. 
And both Joel and Rachel have a very personal uh, and deep relationship with their creator. And that was enhanced through their raising, their, as uh, their parents and their grandparents have impacted their lives. And I'd like to ask them to share with them some, share with us some specific examples of how that took place. My grandparents moved to Thailand in 1953, so they were the first generation um, in our family to go and um, be a part of missions there. Um, so I'm just really thankful for the legacy they and my parents um, left for me, um, just by showing the importance of God's kingdom work and um, just that others would know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of what John Morrison likes to say, that as parents, more is caught than taught. Um, so my parents and my grandparents, they didn't just teach me about God, but um, they modeled to me through their lives the importance of living just with a um, kingdom perspective, and I'm really blessed because of that. Another thing that I'm really grateful for is my parents really involved us kids in the ministry, and we were involved in teaching Sunday school, and um, they really included us as a part of the ministry team. It wasn't my parents' work, but it was our family's work, and um, I was able to really catch the vision through that, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I'd really like to echo as well what Rachel had said about um, the work being the work um, that the Lord has called her family to. Um, that's how my parents also um, ministered with the Karen people, um, but also communicated to us kids that it was a work um, that the Lord was calling our whole family to. And it was us kids that would gather our friends together for the Sunday school um, when they first began to teach. Um, in the evenings, uh, after learning the language, and my dad began to teach through the lessons of um, the Creation to Christ lessons beginning in Genesis, he would take us kids along. Um, even though it was late, um, the, the Karen people were working in their fields all day, and so the only time to teach them was late at night when they had returned home. And so my dad would um, bring us along um, as he was teaching, and more often than not would be carrying us home because we had fallen asleep or whatever, but we, we were there with him and we saw it being done. And again, like Rachel said, more is caught than taught, and they, they really modeled um, a love for people, a love for what God is doing, and, and always um, expressed to us our importance in, in that ministry. Um, and it's something that we have noticed as we've had kids as well. We made a trip to Thailand uh, two years ago, and our kids were um, two years younger. And um, just, we were amazed at the, all of the interactions we had with the Thai people just because we had kids. Just walking around the market, um, they would, strangers would come up to us and talk to us for a long time just because we had kids. Um, and so we're just really blessed. Um, for uh, the kids that the Lord has given us and just um, just praise him for, for allowing us to um, do this as a whole family. Great. So this is Micaiah and Malachi, and they're going to be with their parents. Um, we're going to ask you guys to go ahead and kneel and everybody else to come forward and lay hands on and we'll pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your eternal plan of redemption. And thank you, Lord, as you say in 2 Corinthians 5, that you've given to us that ministry of reconciliation. And as we commission uh, Joel and Rachel to go and live amongst um, the people of Thailand as they learn deeper their culture, learn the language, and become part of local church there, that, uh, Lord, you would bless your ministry because it's not theirs, it's yours. And we commission, commission them as uh, servants into your care and into your plans and into your ministry. May you continue to build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but that these churches would uh, become mature, uh, grow up into all things into Christ. And Lord, may the preparation uh, for that day spoken of in Revelation 19, when we all will see, meet you in the air and the wedding of the Lamb will take place. We will meet uh, brothers and sisters from Thailand um, who have been touched by the lives of Joel and Rachel McManigal. We pray this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.